0: All of those books are available on Amazon, as well as everywhere else books are sold. That's Travel Light, Knowing Where to Look, and Bliss More. All right, back to the show.
1: I felt like super I felt like nothing can stop me. I came to this new school. I was doing good. I was in the gym every day. I lost the weight. All my times were up. My heights were up. We had really good coaches and great facilities there. So I was just on top of the world. Grades were great. And then I felt this sharp pain in my back. And I remember falling to the ground and looking around like, oh my goodness, what happened? You know, I thought I got shot. And out of nowhere, it's a stress fracture. So with stress fractures, you don't know how they happen. They just happen over time. And when I found out I had a stress fracture, my coach said, Koi, I'm sorry. You can't run with that. You literally have to stay off your feet. And I was just like, what do you mean? I just got good. I just figured things out. I feel good at this school. I'm not bullied. Like I was the team captain. I was just like, no. So I felt like everything that I worked for and all the progress that I had made had been taken away from me.
0: Hey there, it's Light Watkins. I'm the host of At the End of the Tunnel. And if this happens to be your first time listening to this show, here's what you're in for. I interview luminaries, artists, philanthropists, athletes, creatives, basically anyone who's gone above and beyond to be the change that they want to see in the world. Sometimes they start movements, or they create films, or they write books that inspire people. And in the case of this week's guest, she created a thriving platform called Get Loved Up, which consists of her bustling social media channels, her YouTube channel, books, and a podcast of the same name. She is Koya Webb, and Koya grew up in a small town in Tennessee with dreams of becoming an Olympian athlete in track and field. She became a student of the learning process pretty early on after proving to herself that if she put in the work, she could do pretty much anything she set her mind to, and Koya ended up getting a track scholarship to college only to have a freak lower back injury a year later that caused her to have to drop out of competition for a while. That was when she discovered the power of yoga and breath work. And then she returned a year later, stronger than ever. Then she took one of the biggest leaps of faith in her track career by cold calling a track coach in San Diego to convince him to train her for the Olympics. He reluctantly agreed because he didn't really know her from anyone. And so she moved to California. She left everything behind. However, She got deeper into her yoga practice and she began exploring a plant based diet as well as attending the Agape Spiritual Center. And that led her to realize that she was actually meant to go in a different direction. And so she began to help people heal and find balance in their lives. She became a coach, she became a wellness influencer, and an entrepreneur. And while she still runs a mile a day, her focus now is on connecting with her millions of followers across all channels and creating content for her Get Loved Up audience to be able to heal themselves and be self-sufficient in their own spiritual path. Koya is also one of my dearest friends, so it was a lot of fun to do the deep dive into her backstory and learn how she got to be the force of nature that I have known her to become in the wellness industry. So I really can't wait for you to hear this conversation. But before we get into it, I do want to let you know about The Happiness Insiders, which is my online community that teaches you practices for increasing happiness within, such as meditation, overcoming fear, and finding your purpose. And we have a 108-day meditation challenge that you can start anytime to take your practice to another level. To get more information about all of that, just go to thehappinessinsiders.com or on social media at The Happiness Insiders. There's also a free trial that you can use to start the Kickstart or the 108-day challenge. So check that out when you can. It's thehappinessinsiders.com. And in the meantime, let us dive into the backstory of Koya Webb and see how she found her calling to start her Get Loved Up platform. Koya, welcome to At the End of the Tunnel. It is an honor and a pleasure having you here on the podcast and being able to do a deep dive into your story, especially as someone who I've known fairly well over the last several years. I can't remember exactly when we met, but I know we've got probably close to a decade, if not more, in the game. (laughs)
1: It's been at least a decade. I think at least a decade. I don't know. We might have met in person at like Whole Foods in Venice.
0: Some wellness (laughs) scene spots, maybe like a full circle. Remember full circle in Venice? Yeah. That church, maybe something like happening there, right? We've definitely crossed paths at some event. And you've written a book and you've, you've actually re- released a few things. You've got guided meditations, you've got yoga practices in book form, I saw on Amazon. And you have your actual book book, which is a combination of all of that, along with your personal story. So we're going to dive into your personal story. And I just love talking to other Black wellness practitioners, because I know that being a wellness practitioner in general in america means that at some point you had an unconventional path but being a black wellness practitioner means you really had an unconventional path and being a black wellness practitioner from the south means you really really had an unconventional path so i'm here for all of it <laughs> and i'm excited to hear you share it
1: so it's thanks for coming true. on uh, thank you it's very true it's been a lot you know and But I feel like everything that I've been through has made the woman that I am today.
0: Let's take it back then to Humboldt, Tennessee. What is Humboldt, Tennessee like?
1: Humboldt, Tennessee is about 30 minutes from Memphis. It is a couple (laughs) stoplights, really small high school. I think my graduating class had like 123 people. And I didn't live in the city. I lived in the country. So about 15 minutes outside of Humboldt. So I'm a country girl and it was slow, but I was connected to nature. I think that's where I got my passion for nature and my love for animals. And just that connection was being a country girl, being raised, jumping in cotton bins and <laughs> climbing trees. I was, I was definitely a tomboy. I love getting in the dirt. I love making mud pies. Humboldt was country and slow and racist, you know, and it was a lot, but it was what really gave me my foundation for who I am.
0: What was your understanding of how your family landed in Humboldt? I mean, take us back a little bit, a few generations. Was there slavery involved? Were there sharecropping? Like, what was the deal? Why why are they in this outside of Humboldt?
1: So my dad is from Nashville, Tennessee, and most of his family live in Nashville. And then my mom is from Memphis, and most of her family live in Memphis. And my great-great-grandfather actually inherited land in Humboldt, Tennessee. So we have lots of land and acreage. And I think that was through inheritance from slavery. So we inherited this land. And so my dad, when my great-grandfather passed, he used to go and help him take care of the land and take care of animals. And so once my great-grandfather died, my dad made a vow to live on the land, raise children on the land, and and make sure that he cultivated the land for my family.
0: So the webs have been in that area for, for quite a while.
1: Yeah, the name of the road is my grandfather's name, Manweb Road. No ends. way. Okay. <laughs> yeah.
0: Hey there, really quickly. Have you wanted to find your purpose or be more grateful or start a daily meditation practice, but you're not quite sure where to begin? Well, if inner work is like a drop of water, the com is like your ocean. That's my online community where you can learn real-world techniques for cultivating more fulfillment from the inside out. So whether it's learning how to manifest abundance or access your potential or overcome fear or even just start walking every day, I've got a blueprint for you, which means you no longer have to use any more shoddy guesswork and you don't have to use the lone wolf approach to improving yourself. For a small accountability fee, You'll get community, you'll get accountability directly from me, and you'll get comprehensive instructions for getting your meditation practice off the ground. And for my podcast listeners, you'll receive 30% off of the all-access pass if you go to TheHappinessInsiders.com right now and use the promo code HAPPY. Again, TheHappinessInsiders.com. Enter the promo code HAPPY and you'll get 30% off on a yearly all-access pass which gives you access to dozens of inner work challenges and masterclasses, such as my 108-day meditation challenge, which has an 80% completion rate. Plus, you get to join me live for weekly meditations on Zoom and much, much more. That's TheHappinessInsiders.com. The code is HAPPY. All right, back to the episode. When you were a kid, you said you liked playing outside and cotton bales and whatnot. Did you have a favorite activity or was it just being outdoors?
1: I love being outdoors and I love to this day, I love water, but we didn't have a pool for a while. So me and my brothers and sisters would just strip naked and spray each other with the water. <laughs> And then I remember one time we we couldn't afford a slip and slide so we took trash bags. <laughs> we laid a couple trash bags. The down. ghetto
0: slip and slide.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, so the water sports were my favorite and then eventually we got a little kiddie swimming pool and that was fun and but yeah, anything outside in nature and trees, I was that girl.
0: How many brothers and sisters did you have?
1: I have two brothers and one sister, older brother, and then a younger brother and sister.
0: What was your role in the sibling dynamic? Were you the leader? Were you the instigator? Like I was a bit of the instigator with my, I used to pick fights with my brothers all the time. Were you like the black sheep, the curious one? Who, Who were you in that dynamic?
1: I was the more of the one who got picked on like every my, my mom and dad used you say it's always Koya and somebody Koya <laughs> everyone and my brother my oldest brother used to pick on me because I was taller than him so he'd always like beat me up and pick on me I just always got into it with everyone so I don't know if I was an instigator but I was a sensitive I was very sensitive I am sensitive now and I was a very sensitive child so you know they would love to make fun of me because I'd cry and I'd get upset and they just love to get a rise out of me. So all of my brothers, they would, my oldest brother specifically would actually conspire with my younger brother and sister to do things to annoy me on purpose, like thump my ears or like throw things down. Like he was just so good at it. And they went along because he was big brother. So yeah, I was, I was definitely the sensitive one. You
0: learned about thankfulness in the church Did you guys have White Jesus on your wall along with JFK and whoever else, Martin Luther King?
1: (laughs) We definitely had uh, White Jesus with blonde hair and blue eyes. (laughs) And I always wonder, it it never really resonated with me. Never
0: sat well with you, right? Uh, Me neither.
1: It just was like... uh, This is interesting. And then just the whole posturing of like the 12 disciples at the day, every time I saw it before I knew any better, I was just like, oh, this is just art. I was never a person that prayed to like statues or paintings. And I'm glad for that. And no one in my family was because I probably wouldn't have been able to, because I remember when I'd see it on the wall, I'm like, art but when we talk about the stories I felt a connection so I thought that was interesting because I never connected to the visual and I never had like any picture we don't have any we never had any pictures of like Jesus or anything in our house but in the church we did enough but I never resonated with it but the story oh I always felt a connection and when I saw passion of the Christ I saw one time I was like I can never see that again that was too like brutal but Christianity really gives me gratitude for life and gratitude that I had something to believe in, because I feel like having something, and, and that's why I have respect for all different religions, because it's having something that makes you have a standard of living, something that helps you be grateful for life, something that helps you respect people is great. But on the flip side, I had a lot of fear growing up, and a lot of that started also within religion and i feel like that part of it took me many many years to unlearn
0: what was the vibe like in your house growing up there's four kids your parents are together what were the, some of their ideologies and philosophies because i know in my house in alabama there's a lot of conversation around race and racism and black people and white people and you got to work twice as hard and all of that what, what was being said in your house
1: You know what? Luckily, and I'm grateful for my parents for this. We didn't really talk much. My parents believe in spare the rod, spoil the child. So we got whooped a lot. (laughs) You know, I felt like I got beat like a runaway slave on a rental.
0: Wait, wait, wait. Spare
1: Spare the Rod and spoil the child. Okay. And I'm gonna leave that other quote I said out. (laughs) But I feel like we we got whooped. There was a leather belt on the rail and Anytime we would act up, we'd get a whooping. And I, because I was a sensitive child that everyone loved to mess with, I was always getting whoopings. So I got whoopings on a regular basis. (laughs) So, and, you know, most of the time it was a belt. Sometimes it was sticks, but it was tough, very much fear-based. Like, okay, if you're not good, if you do anything, you're going to get a whooping. And it was a really hard way to be raised
0: when you were young, were you imagining moving out of Humboldt and living in maybe a big city one day and and having that whole experience? Or where did you see yourself? What did you think about success at that point in your life? And where do you think things were going?
1: I love nature. And I remember thinking like on our first family trip, we went to like this place called Seven Point and we went to like a waterfall and the water was running and it was nice. And I was like, "Ooh, like this is beautiful and this is different. And so I got a love for traveling out of just going on family vacations. And then I remember going on a friend's family vacation. I'm like, oh, my goodness, y'all don't argue with each other this is amazing. I remember like, I didn't think this was possible that you can actually go on a trip and have a good time without like, you know, all the back and forth and arguing that I had with my brothers and sisters. I went with my friend's family and they were like helping each other out and braiding each other's hair. And just like, it was like, I was like, Ooh, like, can y'all adopt me? I remember thinking that, but my love for travel came with like family trips. My parents would try to take us somewhere at least once a year And I was like, I want to see the world. I want to see different people, different nationalities. Again, in Humboldt, it's just basically black and white. That's one thing I love about California. You can see different people from different nationalities. I love variety. I love diversity. I feel like diversity really helps us get to know ourselves even, because we see how we're different. We see how we're alike. I mean, of course, everyone's different, but I didn't get to see different cultures, different ways of living like I do now. And I, I really love it.
0: Were you more of a television watcher growing up or book reader or how how were you passing the time in the evenings?
1: I remember one summer I read a hundred books. I was in a book reading competition. I would read a book a day. My parents only let me watch TV on Fridays, TJF. I think you might remember that. We could only watch TJF. Other than that, we were reading. My mom would teach us Swahili. We would sing. We would dance. My mom would create orange eating contests. And my mom was so creative. So she would create games for us to play, obstacle courses outside, which is probably why I'm athletic to this day. But my mom would really keep us active.
0: Was she a stay-at-home mom or did she work a full-time job?
1: She actually got her master's, but she chose to just stay at home. I think now she's like, I wish I would have done something different.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but she really, and she was like, you know, I don't like stay-at-home moms. I'm a, what is she cut? she's like, I'm a house specialist, a home specialist. She would like come up with these different names for what she did because it was, it was a lot of work, especially with four kids. It was just a lot of work. So yeah, she was at home with us, but I definitely feel like her being at home, making home cooked meals, it really taught me a lot about nurturing and a lot about divine feminine, that it took me many years to actually appreciate like how much and how what a privilege it was to have a mother who was so nurturing and and really, and that's really where I got my deep capacity to love and nurture from is from my mother.
0: You ended up getting a full track scholarship to Wichita State. When did you realize that you were gifted athletically?
1: When I'd run to the bus and fall and get back up and keep going, that's when I knew that. <laughs> I mean, I think that I would beat my brothers sometimes in races, and I was just like, "I'm fast," you know. And I remember thinking, "I'm I'm fast," you know. But I really, honestly, I didn't really think. And I wasn't trained to be great in athletics. We lived in the country, so I didn't actually start sports until high school, which is really late if you really want to be great at sports. And I remember trying out for the cheerleading team. I got so nervous. I was like, I was hyperventilating. I couldn't cut it. I remember trying out for the basketball team. Of course, I had no practice. I couldn't dribble. I was tall and lanky, so I didn't make it. The only thing that I can make and the only thing that I could do was run around the track, <laughs> you know, and because I'd run to the bus and I'd race my brothers, I made the track team. But let's just be honest. Everybody made the track team. Right. So I started there on the track team and built up my stamina. But no one really cared about track. It was like off-season thing for the football players and off-season thing for everyone else. So I always wanted to play basketball. So after my first year, I went to the state meet. On the relay team, we made it to the state meet. And after that year, I asked my track coach, Dorrington Reed, who is like a football player at UTK. I was like, can you get me on the basketball team? I was like, just give me a chance. I don't care if I ride the bench. I don't care what I have to do. I just, I just want to be on the basketball team. I want The men's
0: team or the women's team?
1: team? The women's team. And so he talked to the coach. I mean, we had a losing season at Humboldt. So I'm like, if I can't get on a team and I, I knew I was like, I can play defense, you know, because I was fast. I was agile and I'm a team player. So he talked to the coach and I was listening. And he's like, you know, at least she can play really good defense. She's really active. She's a good student. Just let her on the team. And then the coach said, OK, All right. So my sophomore year, I got on the basketball team and I was so excited, but I rode the bench the entire year. And at the end of the year, you know, again, losing season. Coach is like, all right, Koya, all right, look, I'm going to let you in. We're losing this game anyway. (laughs) Go ahead and play. And I was so excited. I knew exactly what I was going to do. I could only dribble with my right hand and I knew how to do a really sweet layup. So I was like, I I envisioned it. I'm going to snatch the rebound because I was really great at rebounds. I'm going to dribble the length of the court and I'm going to lay it up and it's going to be easy and no one's going to stop me because I'm fast. So it happened. I snatched the rebound. I dribbled down the court. I laid it up and I felt so good. And everyone's like, Oh, and I'm thinking like, why are people cheering? What's going on? I shot at the wrong goal. So (laughs) (laughs) I was like, get over here. You said this the whole time. You can't even know which goal is ours. I was like, oh yeah, I was confused. I was just excited.
0: Oh my God, that's crazy.
1: Oh, it was so embarrassing. (laughs) But I shot it and I made it and that's all I cared about. I lived my dreams in the wrong goal. We finished that year, losing season, and my junior year, we had a coaching change. And I got to play and I got to practice. And so my junior year, I got most improved because I I was scoring, I was rebounding. Um, I actually ended up starting my junior year. And by my senior year, I ended up getting MVP, most rebounds, most points for the team. So That's how committed I was to being a team player, to doing my best in getting that opportunity and sucking so bad. I was really, really bad. But getting that chance, it built resilience in myself. And I knew like I can do anything that I put my mind to. I can do anything. And so I love telling that. So because I don't tell it much because most people ask about track and not basketball. (laughs) But that really built my confidence and knowing that if I work hard at anything, then I can do it.
0: So let's cut to you're in college now. Did you have a successful freshman year in track?
1: Oh, my goodness. No, I had a terrible first. First of all, I got all these offers, you know, now for basketball. But Mm -hmm. I chose track and field because I got more offers because, you know, I just got great in basketball in the last year and all the basketball offers were like really close and I kind of wanted to travel. So
0: you were like the shit in school. Like, that's a big deal to have all these scholarship offers in a small town like Humboldt, right? Like everyone was celebrating you and applauding you. And oh, my God, did you hear about Koya at church? The word was going around.
1: Yeah. And we didn't even know what to do with it because with track my sophomore year, I was already getting like letters from colleges like my sophomore year. So I was just Uh like. So by my senior year, I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened to the letters. I still had them, but, you know, there were more that i gotten it. I don't think we just even knew what to do with it. And so I ended up going my first year close to home, UT Martin, because when I went on a trip to visit a school, UTK, my friend that I was with going on the college trip with got assaulted. And so I was literally scared to go to a big college because I was like, oh, this is not safe. you know. So I was like, I'm just going to go somewhere close to home. So I went to University of Tennessee in Martin and it was a terrible first year. Like I literally was so happy. I got to eat all the food I wanted to eat. And again, small town girls, we didn't eat much, We ate what we needed just to get by. So here I am, full scholarship. I can eat anything I want. They have international food. They have Asian. They have Thai. They have American. They have pasta, burgers, every single thing you could ever want to eat. And I'm a foodie. And I ate it all. So I didn't gain the freshman 15. I gained the freshman 25. I gained 25 pounds my freshman year. And I thought I was sexy. I was thick. I had a little booty. I was like, oh, hold up. And I didn't understand the science behind why my track was not doing so well. You know, I didn't understand. I was like, why in high jump? I was like, but I felt strong. You know, I was lifting weights at the same time. So, to me, I thought I would be better, but because it was so much weight and my body wasn't used to it and, you know, gravity, I didn't do as well in a high jump. All my times went down and I had no, I, I was just like, I don't know what's happening. And no one told me, no one ever said, because in the South, you don't talk about weight. It's different from California. The more curves, the better, the thicker, the better. <laughs> but you, even in sports though, like someone should have said, Koi, you know what? You gained 25 pounds. You know, I feel like someone should have told me the science behind it, but- I didn't have a clue. And my coach said, Why don't you follow me? Um, he transferred to Kansas, Wichita State. And he said, Why don't you transfer here with me? Get a new. I also got bullied really bad. My freshman year in college, I got bullied. I got hazed. I got in a big fight with some girls in this one sorority, and they jumped me. And I took both of them. So then everyone said, Oh, cool, you beat up this sorority girls. And I was just like, Oh, no, 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 don't spread that. Don't spread that. And I, I literally, I was <laughs> saying, <laughs> Don't spread that. Don't spread that. Like, no, it's cool. Like, I'm just saying, like, don't say anything. They're going to like totally like jump me and I was,
0: retaliate. Yeah.
1: It was a bad, it was a worse freshman year. But I lived through it, and then I moved to Wichita. And when I moved there, I didn't have a meal plan, luckily for me. So therefore, I didn't eat much, and I ended up losing at 25 pounds.
0: Was that an easy decision to move to follow your coach to Wichita, uh, or was that a hard decision for you? Because that took you further away from home.
1: It did. You know, by the time I finished my freshman year, one, I realized my family didn't really need me, and I was doing a lot for my family as, a sec- as the oldest girl, washing all the dishes, taking care of my brothers and sister. But I was like, my family's good. I'm good. And the fear that I had, I was just like, you're good. And I had a terrible first year. So I was like, I have nothing to lose. Like, go start over. You've been bullied. Like, they're never going to step you into the sorority. So I just wanted a fresh start. So I actually moved. And it was, yeah, it was a really easy decision. Even though it was far from home, I was like, my family's good.
0: Talk to us about when you felt like you got shot, but it wasn't really getting shot. You just (laughs) fell to the ground. What was the circumstances around that?
1: I felt like what in the world? Like I was, you know, athlete, I felt like super world. I felt like nothing can stop me. I came to this new school. I was doing good. I was in the gym every day. I lost the way all my times were up. My heights were up. We had really good coaches and great facilities there, which we actually didn't have at the first school. And so I was just on top of the world. Grades were great. And then I felt this sharp pain in my back. And I remember falling to the ground and looking around like, oh my goodness, what happened? You know, I thought I got shot. And out of nowhere is a stress fracture. So with stress fractures, you don't know how they happen. They just happen over time. And when I found out I had a stress fracture, my coach said, Koi, I'm sorry. Like, you can't run with that. Like you literally have to stay off your feet. And I was just like, what do you mean? I just got good. I just figured things out. I feel good at this school. I'm not bullied. Like I was the team captain. I was just like, no. So I felt like everything that I worked for and all the progress that I had made had been taken away from me. And I know a lot of people feel like that now, like, cause the world just changed, you know, you're one day enjoying the world is one thing and the next day is something else. And so I just felt confused and slighted. And so I went into like a mini depression. I was crying in classes. I didn't want to be there. And my teacher sent me to the counselor and the counselor is the one that told me to try yoga.
0: You were also in a bookstore and there was a book that caught your eye. What book was that?
1: So, oh my goodness. You Can Heal Your Life by Louise Hay was One of my favorite books, and the reason it was one of my favorite books is because I realized that some of the emotions that I was feeling had physical manifestations, right? Mm -hmm. Some of the emotions that we feel, your body can give you signals that like something's going on. And so reading her book and understanding basically about the mind-body connection was the key and the catalyst to a lot of my healing. Even now today, I resort back to like, okay, I'm having this pain here. What is that connected to? What do I have grief about? I remember my friend got sick with cancer and I'm like, and I looked it up and I was like, oh, that's deep-seated resentment. So we did work on like, okay, what do you have deep seated resentment, right? Who do you need to forgive? Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was one of my the favorite books early on in my career.
0: Were you in the bookstore looking for books on the psychosomatic connection or like, what were the circumstances of that, of you coming across that particular book on that particular day? Because I know I used to go to bookstores all the time just to kind of peruse, but I didn't think anyone else was like me. So what were you doing there?
1: I don't even remember how I got the book, to be honest. I don't even remember. All I remember is having the book and reading and I couldn't put it down.
0: You had been told your track career was over due to the stress fracture in your lower back. So what was the plan? Did you feel try. you could heal yourself or?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. So when I, since I was a little girl, my parents had anything that happens you drink some water. I broke my leg drink some water. I got a cold drink some water. <laughs> drink some water was his solution to everything. But on our bookshelf, you know, we had a hall full of books and I would always get the, like the natural healing, natural remedies. And so I'm like, look, that water doesn't fix anything. So let me fi- let me figure out some more natural things that I can use to help me with some things. And so I think I'd always gravitate toward natural healing and natural remedies because of that. And so I was looking for spiritual guidance. And I feel like being in college and being away from that, like church once a week, I I hadn't found a church home in Kansas And so I decided to just go to books and like look at books. And I found Louise Hay, I found Wayne Dyer and I was like, Ooh, this connects, but it connects in a different way. Like I really love the spiritual connection that I feel through Louise Hay and Wayne Dyer. And so that began my search for just like deeper meaning in life and the deeper healing. But I had no idea what I was getting myself into.
0: And how did you end up in your first yoga class?
1: So after this injury, my teacher sent me to the yoga class and I was like, can I do this? Because is this worshiping different (laughs) gods? Like, do I have to worship Buddha? Or I had no idea. So she was like, no, it's, it's just stretching. And of course, we know it's more than that. But that's what she told me at the time. So I remember going in this class and I kid you not, I cannot touch my toes. I was a tight athlete. I could do it back then. But I tight hamstrings. I couldn't touch my toes. And I was just like, this is not for me. No one looked like me. I felt out of place. I felt out of place. I felt frustrated. I'm like, why am I here? At this point, I'm like, why am I even like, what is my life worth? I questioned my life. I questioned just like, what am I going to do now? I put everything I had and I got this full scholarship and my coach was like, oh, you can be a coach or, you know, you make good grades. And and of course, I didn't want to hear that. So here I was in this class, like super frustrated and the teacher looks at me and she's like, just breathe, you know? And I took this deep breath with her and I felt chills all over my body. And I remember back when I was, you know, going to church as a young girl, asking my mother and my father, like, when should I get baptized? And they said, you'll feel it. I'm like, feel what? Is it going to be a tingle, a jolt? Like, you know, I was really like, I want a clear direction on what I was going to feel so I can get dunked in the water because it seemed like the thing to do, you know? And so... I remember when the preacher was preaching, I felt these chills. And to this day, like I know that full body, yes, that full body orgasmic feeling is the way that I connect to spirit, is the way I connect to divine. And so when that happened, I got baptized. So when that happened in this yoga class, that was a sign for me. After that deep breath, it was like, you're in the right place at the right time. So I was like, all right. I'm just going to commit to it. And mostly I was just breathing because the poses hurt. I was looking at other people like, how do you, you know, I'm sitting in Lotus now. I remember it being so much pressure on my shin. I'm like looking like, does this hurt anybody else but me? And everyone's sitting there out. I'm like, this is not blissful. Y'all quit lying. I'm like, how are they keeping this up? I felt like everyone was putting on the front and I was the only one that couldn't do it. <laughs> and so. And the teacher kept saying, just do the best you can. Don't force it. So it was a really great instructor that really guided me to the breath. And now I know breath is spirit. And that's why I was connected. And since then, I've been on a spiritual path. And that's been the guiding force through the rest of my life.
0: When you returned a year later, you were like a spiritual warrior track athlete, not just a track athlete.
1: I mean, I was always spiritual, but to be honest, I didn't continue my yoga practice. I was like, thanks, yoga. And I went back to the track and I was like full on, like end up winning the conference meet and the high jump, long jump and the heptathlon and leading Wichita State to their first women's championship. So I went in because I end up swimming and biking. And when I go, I go, I go hard. And so I went hard, but I took my team with me and it was just so much fun. But there was no yoga involved. I was like, yoga healed me. Thanks. And I actually didn't get back to it until I moved to California. So after I was ranked 13th in the nation, I was like, I can go to the Olympics. So I was like, I need to go to the Olympic training center. It's in San Diego. And at this point I got so much ambition and I'm like, I can do anything. If I can heal my body, I can do anything. And so I called this coach, Ron Sheffield of San Diego state. And I was like, will you coach me? He's like, who are you? I'm like, you don't know me, but I looked you up and I need a coach. And he was close to the Olympic training center. And I was, was just a couple inches away. So I was like, all I can do is promise you I'm going to get better every day. And this is what I want to do. And he was like, all right. And so once he, once I got the, that yes from him, that's all I needed. I had saved money in college and I just, I flew, I flew to San Diego and in college, I taught at the YMCA and I started personal training. So I took all my coins, put them together and I, I moved to California.
0: When you were researching coach Sheffield, had you like seen or read something about somebody who like called someone out of the blue and it worked out and you thought that's what I'm going to do? Like how did you even get this idea to just cold call the one of the most famous coaches in the country <laughs> and just get him to coach you? Get him to agree to coach you? Like where did that idea who did you bounce that off of before you did it?
1: I don't remember, I don't remember a story. I don't remember reading. I feel like this is just, it was literally just spirit led. It was just like, I got to find a coach to coach. And I think because in high school with my coach, Tim Reed, like he helped me in track and field. And not only did he help me in track and field succeed, he also helped me get to the basketball team. So something in me knew if I could find one person to believe in me. And I don't even remember calling anybody else. So I don't even know. All I know is sometimes when I get spiritual hits to do something, I just do it. And I don't ask any questions. So I looked, I literally, this is how I chose him though. I looked at where the Olympic Training Center was, and I looked at the closest college there, and I looked at who was the coach, and that was him. And then so, but it was, I didn't have any background on him. I I mean, once I chose him, I looked at, you know, different students that went there, and, you know, I looked at his picture. I knew what he looked like. He looked like a cool guy, you know, and so I literally chose that school.
0: Was there a gatekeeper, or he answered the phone when you called?
1: Oh, my goodness! I wish I knew it was so long ago. I feel like he answered the phone like I, I don't remember the process. all I remember. And I think I get like that sometimes. When I have my sight set on something, i just I just go for it. i don't mm-hmm. I don't remember what else. I don't know who I talked to, but I don't remember it being too hard, to be honest. I feel like it was just a couple calls and I was talking to him
0: That must have been so exciting for him to say yes.
1: I was so because
0: excited. you were in a relationship, too. And that was a big dilemma for you, right?
1: That was like the beginning of like my heartbreak. Like I was in love with this guy. And I thought, like, when I told him like, I th- got this opportunity that he was gonna be that
0: you created this opportunity.
1: Yeah. And he was just like, No, I don't want to go to California. You go to California. <laughs> and I'm like, what? What? I was just like, I was just shocked and it was sad. So it was kind of bittersweet. So it's like me following my dreams, but like, I lose this guy who I loved and we were making plans together, but I knew that this was an opportunity that doesn't come. It's like, this is not often like no one from my hometown has gotten this close to like going to the Olympics. And like, after healing myself, I wasn't willing to like, just and just like kind of let that dream go. So I kind of sacrificed a little bit.
0: What's the exchange? Like if a professional Olympic grade coach says they're going to coach you, what do they expect in return from you? Is there, did they pay them by the hour or they just want to be able to influence you or how does it work?
1: I don't remember what I paid him, but I know it wasn't much, if anything. Mm -hmm. Like I literally, I feel like, I've paid some coaches, but anytime I've paid coaches, it hasn't been much. Like, I don't even remember if it was anything, to be honest. And his thing is like, okay, if you coach an Olympic athlete, then you go to the Olympics too, you know, as a coach. And I think that's why coaches commit. So I kept my promise every single day. I got faster every single day. I go, he was like, wow. And he was very impressed, but I forgot what yoga taught me. I forgot balance. And so not only was I training every day for four hours, I was also personal training to pay the bills because I realized that California rent is not the same as Kansas rent, is not the same as Tennessee rent. Like I was staying in a place that was almost a thousand dollars a month and I was like, dang, and it was just me, you know, so I was like, all right. I got to do this. But I remember my eye was jumping. I was super stressed out. So I pulled my hamstring because we know when you don't take care of yourself as an athlete, if you're not doing the cold pool, you're not getting the massage. If you're not taking care of yourself, an injury is a guarantee. So I got injured, but this time I went back to yoga and I decided to get certified, which of course, as you know, changed my life. But I was heartbroken. I was heartbroken, one, because I broke over this guy. And then two, after a year, like I was an injury again. So I was really I got, you know, just really sad again. But this time yoga was able to like I was learning so much. And I was like, wow, like what is it about yoga? I want to find out why it's so healing and why I feel so good.
0: I guess at this point, you've had so many intuitive hits. Maybe you even have language for it. At this time, and, and you kind of know the feeling more intimately. So, when it was time to leave track behind, was that a big choice or were you just like, yep, yeah, this is, I'm getting the feeling again. So, I know
1: what I have to do. I don't think I ever said I li- I'm leaving track behind. I believe I could like train now and still go back to track.
0: <laughs> well, you weren't going to make it your priority, right? Is your sh- priorities were shifting?
1: Uh, to be honest, I always, thought like once I heal myself again I'm gonna go back to the track and actually I did when I moved after I moved from San Diego to LA I got a little acting and modeling I was like I'm gonna do all the things I always wanted to do I'm gonna do some modeling I'm gonna do some acting I was in some runway shows it was and so I really started to have fun with life because I realized that At that time with going through yoga, I got more spiritual. And I realized like, I don't need a gold medal to like make a difference. Like I had been making difference in community. I'd been working at the YMCA. I did a kids fit program. So I started to see the value of my life. And I learned to live in the present through my yoga practice, through the eight limbs of yoga. I started to find gratitude and just being. So even though I had fun on the track, after really diving deep into spirituality and yoga, it was no longer this egoic, like, I gotta win a gold medal to be important. It was like, I like running and it's fun and it's a passion of mine, but I didn't, I didn't need it, if that makes sense. I didn't need it anymore. I didn't desire it to feel like worthy or accomplished or anything. And I can thank yoga for that. But when I decided to move to California, and it was so many things, I, I went from personal training and then I actually started life coaching because one of my clients was like, I just want to talk to you. And I was like, all right, let's talk. And I was like, I think I need to get certified for this. So I got a life coaching certification and I just love talking to people. My dad told me when I was a young girl, he was like, you're going to be a teacher. And I was like, I don't want to be a teacher. Teaching is boring, you know, but he saw the way I would learn things and I would teach my brothers and sisters. I would learn things and teach it, teach people in my church. So I have a passion for learning and sharing my knowledge. So Teacher, coach, you know, I'm still doing it. So my dad saw that at a young age. And so yeah, I once I started yoga, I was like, and everyone needs the gift of yoga and not just postures, but the mental, spiritual, and physical benefits you get from a regular practice.
0: You were also kind of like a chef. I mean, you had been experimenting with vegetarianism. I'm assuming that happened through (laughs) yoga.
1: Actually, yes and no. Like, yes, when I was in yoga, I started being vegetarian, but in yoga, as you know, people are not necessarily vegan, especially (laughs) in California. It's like, usually there's still some eggs and dairy and fish. And so when I went through, my instructor was vegetarian. And so I did vegetarian through the training because that's what they recommended but it really didn't start my vegan journey. Actually, one of my clients, one of our personal training clients was Marcus Moet. And he was the owner of this cafe in San Diego called Ranchos. And it was a vegetarian cafe and they had a market on the other side. And he was like, you want to cook, and you know I was single, so I was like, "Oh my goodness, I'm Southern, so I miss cooking." But I don't cook as much as I do for myself as I do when I'm in a relationship. So I was like, "I want to cook for people." Yes, yes, yes. And so he hired me, but he wanted vegan dishes for his cafe. He wanted to sell vegan items out of the market. So I would come up with these amazing vegan recipes by reading these books, like Rainbow Green Life Foods. Cuisine, the mucusless diet. So I started learning all this information. Of course, for my naturalist' upbringing, my holistic health, natural healing. I was like a kid in a candy store. He gave me all the books that I could ever want, Heal Thyself by Queen of Fua. Like that's the book that really got me into like healing modalities and clay and rainbow green Life food cuisine that also let me know, like, no, food is energy. And this energy can change and amplify your life. And so once I learned that, I was like, there wasn't a day that I wasn't cooking or creating something. When that happened, I stayed employed at that restaurant and making all these recipes until I moved to LA. Was
0: this before or after your fitness competition?
1: This was after. So the fitness competition happened when I was in San Diego still. And I wanted to be on the cover of Oxygen magazine. That was literally my reason. And I was very, just total ego, but I was like, I want to be on the cover of Oxygen because like, I love like the models and I love the substance of the magazine because it wasn't just like a pretty model. It was like, these women were like hometown women. They gave their recipes and their workouts and they were so inspiring me. And I would look at the workouts and they would help me work out and they would help me eat healthy. And so once I kind of got closer to to other people who were in fitness competitions. I was like, "Well, how do I get on the cover of Oxygen magazine?" And they were like, "You got to do fitness competitions and you got to do the circuit." And as a tall lanky girl, like, let me tell y'all, it's not as easy to do all the physical physique stuff, but again, once I get my mindset on something, I just like go for it. So, I went for it. I remember I didn't have much money, but I remember signing up for a competition in Florida. And I bought an outfit. I bought this cute tennis skirt, spent all my money. This outfit was like $150. Getting hair, like I bought this long weave, you know, because that's what they're doing at the time. So I bought all the things and I had so little money that I couldn't even afford a hotel. I literally rented a car and I flew to Florida. I rented a car and my plan was to do this competition and sleep in my car because I couldn't afford a hotel. And I remember looking at the judges, like who they were and like where they're from and sizing up a competition and like wherever. And honestly, when I looked at those other women, I was like, oh, well my chances of winning aren't that high. (laughs) They're so beautiful and so fit. And I was like, well, I'm just going to have fun. So that's what I told myself. I was like, I'm just going to go out here. I paid all this money. I got this hair. (laughs) I got these outfits. (laughs) I'm just going to just have a good time. And I went out there. And when I tell you I had a good time, I guess that's what the judges saw. I won fitness model first place and I won figure first place as well. And that's how I landed. Well. That is not how I landed the first auction cover, actually. Like, I won those competitions, and that was great because I remember crumbling on stage, crying because I had no one to share it with because I didn't tell anyone because I was too embarrassed to say, I'm doing this fitness competition. I didn't think I was going to win. So I didn't tell not a soul, had no one in the audience. And the judges came out like, Where are your people? I was like, I don't have anybody. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. And so they, and then they're like, Well, where are you staying? I was like, I don't have a hotel. And they're like, oh goodness, this girl's a hot mess. So <laughs> they actually got me a hotel, beautiful hotel. And they they put me up and I just enjoyed. It. And I called my home and I was like, hey, y'all, I won this. They're like, you did what? Who, what is that? What's a fitness competition? What are you doing in Florida? Do you have people out there? And basically they just gave me a verbal lashing for being out in Florida by myself, which is what Southern parents do. But I was happy. <laughs>
0: Was there a cash reward for winning the competition?
1: I don't honestly remember there being a cash reward. You got your pro card, which means once you win like a regional event, then you can go on to like bigger competitions and things like I that. And so that was the kind of thing. I run my pro card at that moment. And again, my whole thing was just the notoriety to again, you know, get the cover of Oxygen, maybe open up some opportunities with health and wellness and fitness and things like that. Because Alicia was one of my inspirations. She's one of the few Black women that would ever be on the cover of Oxygen magazines. And so I would always like looking at her fitness programs, very inspired. So, yeah, and see other things she got, like fitness deals and work with different companies. So it was more like the opportunity that I was looking for. But long story short, I sent in my pictures and the, yeah, it was not, no takers, no covers. I sent what they call it cover trials. I got different photographers, tried different wigs on (laughs) and none of it worked. And I didn't get the cover. And I was like, you know, sooner or later, I just gave up.
0: I feel like the last sort of stage of your transformation into becoming the Koya web that we all know and love today was you trying on those wigs and then ultimately deciding I'm not doing this anymore. I mean, I'm looking at you now, you have these beautiful locks. And you went through a period where you, you scoured through YouTube looking for ways to wear your hair naturally. And I interviewed Curly Mickey, who I'm sure her, you, you came across her work at some point and she told the story, you know, cause it's, it's surprising how a lot of black girls, meaning young women or or teenagers, they don't know how to take care of their hair because everyone's basically pressing their hair. So what was that process like for you?
1: It was so difficult. I grew up again, pressing my hair. I would either wear it braided or twisted. I mean, my hair was pretty long. It was pretty much always past my shoulders, a couple inches or mid back. And so it was a lot of work to do my hair for my mom growing up. And in college, Being an athlete, I was like always wearing braids or twists to the back. So much so, I actually lost a lot of hair on the edges, which a lot of women experience alopecia from braiding the hair being braided too tightly. And so the wigs were a way that I could protect my hair, but you know, have different styles like all the other women. I remember trying to model when I had first moved to San Diego, and they're like, well, your hair, you know, we need to know like what you look like when you show up. And I was like, yeah, but I mean, I can't wear my natural hair because it's always changing. It has its own personality. And I remember one time it was actually traumatic. I just started modeling, I was modeling for this specific magazine. And I had slicked my hair back, my natural hair, my big afro, I slicked it back in a ponytail because out, you know, I know that's not what they're looking for in a sports magazine. I mean, nowadays, you know, their hair is more embraced and it'd be fine to go with a commercial and have your fro some of them. But this magazine was predominantly in San Diego. So all the women there that were in the magazine and on the cover or white women or women with straight hair. And so I was like, all right, well, if I can slick it back, it looks like a nice ponytail. It's fine. So I remember going to the shoot and they were like, oh, can we see your hair out? We want to see it curly? I was like, oh no. I was like, no, uh-uh, you don't want you don't want to do that. Cause it's not going to be like, you think you think it's going to be like one of those mixed girls to curl. It's going to be like, oh no, this is like this afro hair they're like no well let's just see it I'm like and I knew if I took it out of this ponytail it was gonna at least take me an hour and we it was time to shoot so they didn't listen to me they were like literally no like seriously we told you to take your hair out take your hair out so I took it out and it was like you know just bust out into the fro and I sit there and they kind of pick at it a little bit they're like oh okay yeah put it back up in the ponytail and I'm just like. So I try to fit my hair back in this ponytail. Of course, I don't have my gel. I don't have all the stuff that it took to get it up there. And there's lumps in my hair. They're like, can you just move down the top? I was like, no, because I told you not to take it out. And I was so unhappy. They're like, okay, fine, just leave it out. And so to this day, I have this publication because I couldn't get my hair back into that ponytail. And there I am with the fro, you know? And so that was very, very hurtful to me. And after that, honestly, is when I started braiding my hair and wearing wigs because I'm like, people just don't understand my hair and it's traumatizing to have to explain it. And even when you explain it, you're still not listened to or understood. So I was like, I'm just going to braid my hair to protect my hair and to protect my feelings. And I'm going to put these wigs on, which are cute and curly. And so I wore this curly wig for the longest, but I got more work because my hair was consistent. They knew what it was going to look like. I would kind of play with that and put it up and down in a ponytail. And honestly, that's how I started modeling. And that's how that's a big part of my modeling career. That and squeezing my feet into size eight shoes <laughs> was really how I started modeling for Nike, Adidas, New Balance. Like after that, after I figured out my hair and the shoe thing, I was modeling for pretty much all of the biggest brands out there.
0: So you now have millions of followers and huge YouTube channel, hundreds of thousands of subscribers and all that. What was the transition from being a yoga teacher to becoming a wellness influencer? Because my suspicion is that you were just giving a lot. You were creating a lot of content and helping other people transition into natural hair, into veganism, into honoring their body temple and all of these other things. So, but I want to hear from you, like, what was your experience of that transition?
1: Honestly, I was just being, I was just doing all the things that brought me joy. When you talk about cooking, like I was just like, oh, I want to create something good. I want to create another vegan thing. So it wasn't really necessarily when I started, I remember when I wrote my first book, I self published it and I'm actually looking at recreating it now, but it was called Koi's Cuisine, foods you love that love you back. And I literally wrote it for my family because I wanted to share because I mean I went home and threw away all the stuff in the cabinet that was toxic or had MSG or things in it. And my parents thought I went crazy. So they were just like
0: I can imagine they're not having that. They're like looking they for the Oreos, like, like, coy where are the freaking Oreos? You threw those away too
1: take that food out of the trash. (laughs) like We can't wait to this, like California. They thought it was like a fad. It was going to go away. It was just like this California thing I was doing. But I was like, no. And I I was trying to tell them, I was like, you know what? Let me just write a book. So I self-published this book and I put all my rest. And at this time I was raw vegan. So I was raw vegan for two years. And for those who don't know what that is, it's like nothing is heated over 118 degrees. There's a lot of fruits and vegetables, very cleansing and purifying. I had less mucus. I had more energy. I felt great. But the food foodies out of me was not satisfied. Like I I really wanted to, you know, eat a hamburger, a vegan hamburger, of course, every now and then some vegan waffles. And I miss the cook food just for like personal foodie reasons, not for necessarily like health reasons. And so now I currently eat like a plant-based vegan diet, and probably ten percent of that is whatever I want to eat. That's vegan, so whether it's pizza or ice cream or donuts, I allow myself that freedom, and that that's a good balance for me. But originally, it was just like falling in love with food and cooking. And when it comes to my community and yoga, when I started posting on Instagram. I was just posting to hold me accountable for my practice. Cause again, I would say, thank you yoga. And then I will fall off like most of us do with our daily practice, daily, you know, asana, right? So I saw this program on Instagram called Grow Soul Beautiful. And they had like this day of 30 poses and you do a pose each day. And so I would practice every morning, get nice and warmed up. And then I do the pose of the day and I post it. And so that kept me accountable. And then after a year of that, like, Brands start sending me clothes, and they're like, "Hey, you know, you want these clothes? We'll send you free clothes if you post when you do your yoga poses." I was like, "Okay." And then after the year, I got so many clothes. I was like, "Okay, I got too many clothes, but I'm barely paying my rent. Can y'all send me some money?" <laughs> you know. And I remember charging the first time I charged for my poses was like maybe fifty dollars, and that's how my business started on social media. And then I realized. How much people in the community were saying, "Oh man, you really inspire me." And at this time, I moved back to California. I was modeling. I was doing a little acting. I was, ha- I was just ha- honestly having a good time. But people started telling me, like, "Oh, when you post your recipes, when you and I would wake up, I'd make motivational videos because again, it's just me being me. I'm just loving people and just sharing my journey and my experience. And people start writing me, and I'm like, wow, I'm making that impact that I always wanted to make. And that's when I found two people online, Marie Frolio and Brenda Bouchard. And they're like online marketers with like soul-based business. And I start looking into online marketing and I created my first ebook and I started sharing my content online. And then my company grew and grew. My Instagram grew. i now work with probably over 40 brands this year, but it all started with just me doing what bring me joy and sharing that with other people.
0: Did you ever even consider conventional sort of nine to five job? Was that ever in the cards for you? Because you mentioned, you know, you needed money here and there. And was that ever a struggle or was it a foregone conclusion that you were just going to make it happen because that's what you had already experienced with basketball and with track?
1: I did a couple jobs. I remember my first job was at Shoe Show. I sold shoes. I remember being a waitress at Applebee's at some time, you know, during my childhood. And then I remember in San Diego I worked for MCI. So I was calling people, hi, you know, trying to sell everybody and my family on like a phone service. I don't ever remember working a 9 to 5 since I've been in LA because then I was more like, oh, acting and modeling. But, you know, when I got my degree, I got my degree in exercise science and business administration, I pretty much knew that I wanted to have my own company. And I'd always read books. And there was this big black book that I got off my mom and dad's shelf. And it said loopholes of the rich, (laughs) you know, and I learned at a young age that everybody, everything's not fair. And there are some people that know more than other people. And I need to learn what, they know, you know, and I realized that you got to be in the know, and it's about who you know, and it's about politics, and it's nasty and it's ugly, and we need to know about it and we need to talk about it. So I actually learned that along my journey, you know. And so one of the things that I read was like, the world is made for entrepreneurs, the world is set up for entrepreneurs, and of course, the 1% <laughs> to win, right? But working a nine to five, you're just literally, especially if you don't like it. And I was such a passionate person, you know, I would like something for about, I remember working at Victoria's Secret and I only worked there because I wanted some free lingerie, (laughs) you know, it's just like, if you don't like your job, there's no reason for you to be working it. And most jobs that I worked, it was just to pay a bill or to do something. So now I've always wanted to work for myself and, and build a company. And then once I start seeing the impact that I was making on people, impact was my biggest goal. I was like, I want to make an impact. I don't need a gold medal to make an impact. I don't need a gold medal to make a difference. So I'm just going to do this through using my voice, through sharing my story, through studying everything I can about holistic health and wellness and sharing that with my community.
0: That's exactly what I was about to ask you. How would you articulate your mission today?
1: My mission today is to kind of take people through the journey that I went through. And we didn't talk about this part much, but when I came to LA, I found this place called Agape, this Mm. transdenominational spiritual center, which spoke to my soul because I feel like in the South, you know, different people were kind of shunned or looked down upon if they didn't do things a certain way, if they act a certain way in life. And then this was the first spiritual center or church that I've been to that was accepting of everyone and all different religions. They didn't talk about other churches that weren't like them and things like that. And I felt a deep resonance. And so that spiritual practice and reading books like The Course of Miracles, Conversations with God, The Alchemist, I, I just, I'm a book reader. I probably have like a thousand, two thousand books in my house. But the more that I educate myself, the more that I realize that it is really about what you want to create for yourself. And so I just started creating and I I just started pouring and giving and I haven't stopped.
0: Where are you putting most of your attention and focus these days?
1: That's a good question. I mean,
0: because you've experienced every aspect of the wellness world. Now you've been the influencer, you've been the ambassador, you've done the yoga thing you've done meditation courses and challenges teacher trainings chefing like what's exciting you these days
1: i get excited about just building community i mean we're going through a lot when it comes to like mental health and Mm, sexual
0: assault speaking up about that
1: yep mental health sexual assault and just like eco-friendly living. So those are a couple of passion projects that I'm working on, speaking out more on, sharing my journey with mental health, sharing my journey about sexual assault, sharing my journey with my, you know, plant-based diet. So I have a book that I'm working on for next year. Mm-hmm. I have mm-hmm. a couple initiatives that I'm going to be a part of when it comes to mental health and sexual assaults. And I'm actually going through a rebrand. So it's like doing all the things you that bring you joy. Some people go to my website and be like, oh, you're just doing a million things. So really bringing that together. And I've, I've rebranded kind of my philosophy and taking people on the journey that I took through spirituality, wellness, and entrepreneurship. So mm-hmm. first... Really connecting to your true purpose and then developing a healthy lifestyle around that. And then how do you use what you've learned and what you practice to share with your community? And so I'm going to be taking people through that journey through my online yoga teacher training. I just got got my 500 hour accredited by the Yoga Alliance. So we're going to do a big launch for my online yoga school, uh, Get Loved Up membership. Just my goal is to bring 100,000 people in next year, just sharing how to live that holistic life. And then, you know, and then the book, that's what's mm-hmm. exciting for 2022.
0: How are you thinking about success these days?
1: I feel like it's a choice. It's like, I feel like life, if you're just breathing, your life is valuable. You're, mm-hmm. you're, you're breathing out oxygen, you're breathing out carbon dioxide, you're a beneficial being on this planet. And I feel like everything beyond that is just icing on the cake. So the sky is the limit. I love to share. I love to give, you know, I'm thinking about buying a house. I'm thinking about settling down. You know, those are all things like maybe having some children, <laughs> you know, I'm open to it all, but I also am not attached to anything. And I think my yoga practice for that. I just like, I just want to experience life and keep waking up every day and choosing to love.
0: Beautiful. Well, you tell another story in your book about how you were singing Ain't No Mountain Too High (laughs) and your dad telling you to shut up because you kept singing it over and over and over. And I feel like that's the perfect way to summarize the impact that you have had, not only in your life, but just being an example for other people of reaching for whatever's in their heart, whatever's in their soul, listening to that Not needing validation from other people, but just taking those leaps and going for all of it, shooting your shot with the understanding that the way it turns out is the way it's supposed to turn out. You don't necessarily have to stay there. You can go to the next one and the next one. And and that becomes not just an isolated act, but it becomes a lifestyle. And that's what an adventurous life actually is. That's what fulfillment actually looks like. So I just want to thank you, Koya, for being an inspiration to me personally <laughs> and for shining your light in the world and for being on purpose and on mission. It's a very rare thing to come across someone who's like that. And again, you and I know each other personally, and I've seen behind the scenes that who you are on camera is the same person that you are. Off camera. And so it's a pleasure to, to be among kindred spirits when we're together. So just want to thank you very much for coming on and sharing, sharing your story.
1: Thank you so much for your podcast and just all the work you do. Like I love every book you put out. I'm excited about the next one and. The videos. I think it's just a beautiful thing to be able to share. I think in the world, sometimes we get caught up in like all the, the negative things, but I'm so grateful for like the positive things too and know that life is always in balance. It's always balancing itself out. So thank you for having me on. Thank you also for being an inspiration in my life, being a light in my life has been, it's been really great to not only see you grow and expand and share but be a part of that and so thank you for having me on
0: thank you for tuning into my interview with Koya Webb her book let your fears make you fierce is available everywhere books are sold and to become more familiar with her work I would recommend following her on social media at Koya Webb as well as her YouTube channel Her Get Loved Up podcasts are awesome too. And there's an interview of me on there as well where we flip the roles and she interviews me about my backstory. And of course, we'll put links to everything in the show notes, which you can find at lightwatkins.com slash tunnel. Speaking of lightwalkins.com, while you're there, you'll see my announcement for the audiobook of Knowing Where to Look, which is out. It's read by me, of course, and it includes bonus commentary about the backstory of some of your favorite doses of inspiration from the book. So if you are a fan of the hardcover, you will certainly love the audiobook as the perfect companion to that hardcover version. Definitely check that out when you can. You can also get information on my Happiness Insiders community, which has a free trial. And a seven day meditation kickstart, followed by a 108 day meditation challenge if you join. And being a part of that community will change your life from the inside out. Just go to thehappinessinsiders.com to get more information and start your free trial. And finally, if you can subscribe to this podcast and leave a rating or review, that would be the best way that you can share these conversations. Ratings matter way more than you probably realize when it comes to making the podcast more searchable. I don't have advertisers. I don't have sponsors. So it's still very much a labor of love. And each episode takes hours and hours of pre and post production. And just a small little way that you can help share and support is by taking 10 seconds to rate the podcast. Just look at your screen now, click the name of the podcast, scroll down past the previous episodes. You'll see five blank stars. Click the one on the far right and you've left a rating. So thank you very much in advance for that. I hope to see you back here next week for the next story from the end of the tunnel. And until then, as always, keep trusting your intuition, keep following your heart, keep taking those leaps of faith. And if no one's told you recently that they believe in you, I believe in you. Thank you and have a great day. you want to get a little extra nudge when it comes to following your heart and taking leaps of faith and believing in yourself each day, then you want to sign up for my free daily dose of inspiration email. You'll join 30,000 other subscribers who receive a short inspirational story or anecdote that's meant to inspire you to become the best version of yourself each day. You can sign up at lightwatkins.com and you'll get your first inspirational message as early as tomorrow. Again, Just go to lightwatkins.com. You can sign up for free and you'll wake up each morning inspired to be the best version of yourself.